Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with one of the all-time favorite Philadelphia Eagles, Vince Papali. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone. And today on the program, I'm joined by one of the all-time favorite Philadelphia Eagles. He's a real-life urban legend. The movie Invincible documented his life and was played by Mark Wahlberg. Ladies and gentlemen, Vince Papali. Vince, thanks for coming on the program. Great to be with you, Brett. This is so cool, man. We go back, way back, all the way back to the few generations, I think. We go back, and we had a little trouble getting it started, but we're here. We're here. I'm excited. Hey, thanks for Dan. We get a kick start. You know, as long as you get started, it doesn't make a difference. So oh, like- d- d- don't praise Dan too much. It goes, it goes to his head. You know, it goes to his head. Uh, but, yeah, recently rewatched um, the movie. I got a lot of questions. Really interesting story you have, but a lot of layers to it. You know, a lot of layers, and we're gonna we're gonna get to the bottom of it. But okay. there, there's some great sports movies. Uh-huh. Yours yours is actually one of my favorites. Thank you. It's oh, compared my. it's compared to Rudy a lot. Uh-huh. What's a better movie, Invincible or Rudy? Well, oh, man, I mean, Rudy was offsides, one tackle. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Right? Are you kidding me? No, I'm just kidding you. No, I'm just I'm just busting. Rudy's my buddy. Uh, you know, they're right there. They're, they're comparable. Here's what it's all about. It, 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 it's all about that dream. It's chasing the dream. And, and if anybody looks at Rudy and they look at, they look at uh, Rookie, you know, with Jim Morris, or they look at my movie and they see that as a sports movie, they're missing it. Uh, it's a movie about the chase of the dream and the obstacles you have to overcome to have that dream come true. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the mentors that you have and the, the sacrifices that you make and other p- people make on your behalf. And that's what it's all about. So, hey, uh, Rudy is one of the best. I cried. <laughs> I was I watched Rudy for the first time uh, on a plane for crying out loud. And, and I was bawling my eyes out at the end. And um, and <laughs> I said it was it, it had to, it had to be allergies, you know, that's when you're when you're on a plane. So that was pre mascara. But hey, hey, listen, man, it's 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 a Disney movie. It doesn't get any better than that. And I got Mark Wahlberg and, and a lot of fun things. I mean, it's. I can't wait to delve into it and tell you what really happened and how it was made. Yeah, that's what we want. You've done you've done hundreds of interviews, I'm sure, about the movie Monday Monday Night F- uh, Football uh, featured you back in the day originally. That's but, right. Uh, yeah, I want to know the real Vince. Let's start at the beginning. We're born in Glendale, PA. Glen Olden. Glen Olden, either one. Yeah, it is Glen Olden. <laughs> okay. Tell me, and that's right across the bridge, right? That's, right that's yeah, South Philly. It's right across the bridge from, from where I grew up in that Cherry Hill area. That's right. Well, I, I, I grew What happened was is I, 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 when my kids were born, we, uh, we, we lived in Cherry Hill. But I grew up uh, right not too far from the Philly airport. And uh, back in the day, um, we were big Phillies fans. And I know there's a little bit of a connection with you and the Phillies. I think maybe when you were a kid, you might have hung in the dugout once or twice. But um, you know we were we were big Philly fans, uh, Eagles fans. They didn't have they didn't have hockey then, and uh, we're big. Uh, the, back then it wasn't the Philadelphia 76ers, it was the Philadelphia Warriors, 
And Wilt Chamberlain was, was the guy, you know, and, and, and that's what it was. I grew up in this little housing project. My mom uh, was one of nine English descent. Uh, never got beyond the eighth grade. This is interesting. You, you appreciate this, Brett. My mother, you know, there was that movie out there called The League of Their Own. But my mother in the 30s, late 30s, prior to World War II, <clears throat> used to travel up and down the East Coast. Uh, with, and, and she had Yankee pinstripes and she was a shortstop with a webless glove. And her real name was Almira, but they called her Big Al. That was her nickname. And they actually got paid about 2 or $3 a game. And, and they had a male pitcher and a male catcher. It was hardball. And, uh, you know, pretty good stuff. So that, that, that's my mom was a, bit, a great baseball player. My father was a semi-pro baseball and football player. He never got beyond the eighth grade, too. And he grew up in a pig farm. His, his father came in from Naples in, in 1914. So, you know, that's, that, that's, that's where I come from. That's my background. And, but, man, we were, we were just the biggest sports fans ever. I grew up in a sports environment in my house with parents that both were great athletes in their day. Yeah, it, that people don't understand. You know, I grew up there, and then once once high school hit, uh, Dad moved me out to Southern Cal. But you know, I still I, I still have such vivid memories and and such a cool time. We grew up in a little bit of a ge- different generation, um, but man, those Philly fans, there's nothing like it. And, and when I go back east these days, still to this day, you know, especially you're in Philly, it's the Phillies, it's the Sixers, it's the Flyers, it's the Eagles. Uh, You know, I got a brother that is still on Sundays, puts on his Eagle jersey, (laughs) this grown man. And uh, which which brother is that? Aaron. He's he's a huge SC fan and a huge Eagle fan to this. But I, I think he's more the norm than, than myself. Now I still keep an eye on the Eagles. You know, I always remember my childhood. So I have a, you know, a certain, a certain attachment to that part of the country mm-hmm. just because of my childhood. But I think more so than not, the people that grow up there really are tied to Philly and that sports scene mm-hmm. for the rest of their life. I, I think I'm more the, the abnormal than the normal kid, uh-huh. the normal kid does put on it his eagle jersey and and his when the Phillies are playing he's he's at the stadium yelling at the players I remember that you know I remember Mike Schmidt getting booed out of the stadium arguably yeah. the greatest third baseman of all time but those Philly fans they're tough but they're loyal and uh, I you know playing this game for as long as I did playing playing baseball. I appreciate those type of fans. I loved going to New York. I loved going to Boston. I loved going to Philly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just different. Th- those fans are so serious, you know. And I played in Seattle, a great place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's a very but it's a very casual fan base. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of laid back and mm-hmm. kind of have a latte and and get excited once in a while. <laughs> nothing nothing can recreate those those back east and and, and just that sports the fiber. That 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 is in. I don't know what it is, but it's pretty awesome. All right, oh, Interbur- Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, you you were there too at a time when you had some some really passionate players. I mean, you're hanging out in the dugout. You've got Lazinski, you got Pete Rose, you got Tug McGraw, you got Larry Boa. You know, you got your dad. You know, I mean, how, how you know you it, I, when I was when I was looking at some of the things that you've done, and I one of the first thought first things that came to my mind when when I was thinking about you, Brett, was. How difficult was it for you because of your father having been a professional athlete and what my son had to go through and my my children have to go through because her old man was a jock and they got this this movie Invincible, you know, and there's a certain pressure that's put on you 
as a result of that. But, you know, what what an environment to be around, to be with some of the, the most passionate and, and most revered athletes ever in Philadelphia history uh, for any sport, which is really cool. And, you know, and I, I don't know how much of a, a shape that was for you and what how it shaped your attitude and how you looked at the game and everything else. But, you know, just hanging around them, it's got to have some sort of an impact. I think I was just a real naive kid. You know, I grew up and, and when I, when I went to the ballpark, it, it wasn't a big deal. It was, Oh, this is, I'm just going to work with dad. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I attribute this uh, to the, to the buddies I hung around. Uh-huh. They didn't treat me any different either, you yeah, know, yeah. At, at least to my face. Uh, it was very normal. Like, well, that's Brett. Yeah. His dad happens to play for the Phillies, but we didn't, <laughs> you know, I wasn't treated any different. Yeah. You know, on on the on the athletic field because of it. Yeah. But I think I was kind of naive and, and I grew up, uh, you know, the earliest influence uh, for me was my grandfather. And I spent a lot of time with him in my early youth. And um, so he was my first real influence. I was just a baseball rat. Always was. I mean, that's I loved it. I loved going to the ballpark. You told me I couldn't go to the park with dad that day. It, it ruined my day beyond belief up until I was about, you know, 14 or 15, where I got now. Yeah, now I'm into the high school and girls and the social, yeah. the social. But in my young childhood, it was everything for me. Like, all right, dad's going to the ballpark at three. I'm going with him. If he tells me no that's the end of the world for me. <laughs> and I grew up and it's just something I always wanted to do. Yeah, that's and, cool. and my dad was very, uh, he didn't put any pressure at all. I mean, there was yeah, never yeah. any pressure to, to play. It's just something that was assumed. Like, what are you going to do when you get older, Brad? Well, I'm going to play in the big leagues for 15 years, obviously. Do you know who you're talking to? And that's <laughs> how I approached it. But when I'm asked that question, you know, what was it like? My answer is simple nowadays. I don't know how much it helped me, but I know I know it didn't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put it that way. But uh, I never felt an ounce of pressure. It almost when I got to the professional level, it was more of an annoyance to me than a, than a uh, than a than a pressure pact. You know, when I was when I was playing when I was playing professional baseball, you know, and the first question, the new town I'd go to in Double A in the Southern League was, well, do you feel the pressure of it? And I kind of wanted to look at the guy interviewing me in give them the, you know, F off. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about what I'm hitting right now, you yeah. know? And uh, so it, it became kind of a nuisance for me to answer these questions. I wanted them to talk about what I was doing. Well, and eventually, you know, once you, <laughs> once you make it and, and you establish yourself, well, then those questions go away. Now I look at it uh, as, as more of uh, i I'm so proud of, of what my family was able to accomplish. So I don't mind talking about mm-hmm. it now being 15 years removed, but uh, yeah, I, w- I had a blessed childhood and this, th- we're going off too much on me. I want to talk about you Interboro high school. Mm-hmm. And I know you played football just your senior year. That's correct. Yeah. Was- and why, why, like what made you think your senior year, I'm going to go play football this year. Well, um, you know, here's the deal. I, I was, I was, I was a, uh, a freshman, Back, back in the day, you know, we didn't have, you know, high school wasn't 9 through 12. High school was 10 through 12. And you had this thing called junior high school, you know, which was 7 through 9. So I'm in seventh grade. I'm not even five. I'm not even five feet tall. I'm 4'11", weighing about 90 pounds. You know, they're telling me I'm too small to play football. So I never played football. I played in these in the, in the Pop Warner leagues, but I didn't play uh, football, organized football uh, until my ninth grade. And, and my coach... 
and I was 95 pounds and four feet, 11 inches tall. And, um, and, and so I, I did okay. You know, I, I played defense and, you know, I, I liked hitting people. That was, that was my big, my, my big deal, being a little guy with a big hitter. And then, um, and then my, my sophomore junior year, they, again, um, they tell me I'm too small. We had a, we had a Marine Sergeant was the football coach. Um, and I, I tried out for the track team. I had a track coach. This is, this is, it's not in Wikipedia anywhere. I had a track coach. His name was Marty Stern. Man, I'm going to tell you, Brett, you know, you talk about people who make in, uh, influences in you. One of the things, like, I, I don't know what's the first thing that whomever saw you when you had that bat and you were a great hitter and, and they saw that swing. Somebody somehow maybe have taught you that. Well, the thing they noticed about me was my running stride, and, and my speed, and, and it was all because of a guy by the name. I had, I had the natural speed, but I didn't have that right run, you know. I had a guy, Marty Stern, that went to Westchester. There was in the Maccabi Games, and he became my track coach in seventh grade. We didn't even have a track. We ran around a grass football field. But this guy taught me how to run and how to compete. And, and I tell you, I owe so much to this guy, Marty Stern. And then, you know, all of a sudden I get into high school, and, and I'm starting to grow a little bit. I went out for the soccer team and I went out for the baseball team and, uh, and I, they put me in JV baseball, which was okay. I, I didn't mind that. I was playing little league baseball in my life. But, um, and, and then uh, my senior year, the guy that was the, the, my, my junior high school teacher becomes the head football coach. And I'm now five, seven, 165 pounds. And he said, come on, Vinny, I want you to come out for the football team. I said, really? I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. He says, I remember you from back then. So I, I went out for the team, and, and um, he saw that I could catch the ball. I was the fastest kid on the team, and he saw I could catch the ball. So what he did is he absolutely changed the offense from a, from a running offense and, and a slot offense and, and made me the featured receiver. And as it turned out, my senior year, I wound up leading the, uh, the county in touchdowns and receptions. And, you know, it was honorable mention, you know, all Delco, Delaware County, all Delco. Because nobody knew who the heck I was, you know, I was just this kid that came on, and but it was it was because of him. So I, then I played my I played basketball, got a varsity letter, and now I'm about ready to go to Westchester State Teachers College, which is right around the Philly area, and uh, I was going to get a tryout and a, a walk on as a freshman because the the freshman coach was my science teacher in seventh grade, and he thought I had a big heart, right? So I'm about ready to go to Westchester, and the coach, my coach corner. He, he says, hey, Vince, I just got the track coaching job. He says, I need you to I, – I really need you on the team. You, you, you'll be the fast – whatever you want to do, you can do. I said, well, how about this? I'll run the hurdles and I'll pole vault. He says, you got it. He said, but, you know, your dad knew that I was going to ask you what you wanted to do. He said you, he knew that you were going to say pole vault because I said pole vault across the creek in the project I grew up, and I pole vaulted across the clotheslines and all that stuff in our backyards. <laughs> and he said, I knew you were going to say that. Well, guess what? I wound up a foot and a half off the world's record coming out of high school at 14 feet, six inches tall. And I never pole vaulted before. And all the scholarships were gone. And I wound up getting a scholarship to St. Joe's to run track and they didn't have a football team. And as, as they say, the rest is history. And, and that's how I wound up. I, you know, I, I, I set a few records at St. Joe's was captain of the team. And then I, I get out, uh, you know, I'm now it's whatever, 68, I'm getting out. And uh, and I, I thought actually, uh, Brad, I thought I was going to go to Vietnam because uh, Vietnam was hot and heavy. So I was about ready to enlist either in the Marines or the Air Force. And I got a call from my alma mater, Interborough, and they said, hey, we got a business teaching job available for you in the fall. 
you have any you have any teaching credits? I said, what? No. And, and they said, well, you know, if you can get if you can get 12 teaching credits over the summer, you got a job. We'll pay you forty eight hundred hours a year. How's that? I said, well, anyway, I, I, Jack Ramsey was our you know, the Jack Ramsey from Portland Trailblazers. And Jack Ramsey was our was our athletic director. He says, hey, I'll tell you what, Vince. He says, you, you, the, uh, the, the, I'll give you four, four classes you can take to get your teaching uh, certificate. And it's on me. It's on St. Joe's. And so I, I went, I got it, and I wound up getting a teaching job. And, uh, and I stayed there for six years and was the head track coach, assistant football coach. And then, then it all turned on me in 74, 75, 76, when football became my life. And it was pretty cool. And that's where the movie picked it up. Right. And, and I mean, the interesting, and as I went through it, I kept thinking, wow. All right. So he plays high school. Well, he probably had some college experience, but as you said, you went there for track and field. They didn't even have a football team. I, so, I did five events every meet. I led off the four footy relay. I ran the high hurdles, triple jump, long jump, and pole vault. Every, every, every dual meet, I, I did five events. So there was no room for football. We had we used to have, we had intramural football teams that would play against Villanova, you know, the big five. So at St. Joe's, we played against LaSalle, Villanova, Penn, and all them. And my track coach found out that I was on the intramural football team, and he took my scholarship away from me. And I had to beg my ass off to get my scholarship back. <laughs> I mean, football was in my blood, you know, Brent. But, you know, there, was, there wasn't anything for me, and I made a commitment to go to St. Joe's. I could have dropped out and gone somewhere because now I'm 6'2", 6'2", 185, 190 pounds, and I'm, I'm running a 9.7 100-yard dash in cinder. That, that was the speed I had back then. And, and, but, you know, I'd made a commitment. So, but eventually, uh, Dick Vermeil came into my life and gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. And I'm excited as hell because next week I'm going to be with Coach Vermeil with all my teammates and Ron Jaworski, and we're going to honor Dick Vermeil next Thursday night in, uh, in Philly. Very cool. Yeah, we had uh, I had Jaws on the program. We had Dick uh, on the program, and I know I know he's getting honored. Uh, very cool. It, but this is where it gets a little confusing for me. I want you to I want you to clear me up. I'll on clear that. it up. I got okay. You. So I've got several different leagues. All of a sudden, you're teaching right, right. part time, full time. Uh, okay, working on my master's degree at Westchester, where I was going to go and try out for the football team. Okay, so there's the Seaboard. Football league, the Aston Knights. There's, there's the Philadelphia Bell of, of the World Football League. Tell me what order uh, you did those. Okay, here you go. So the the, the order is, <laughs> so you know, tracks are my thing, and and uh, and and, and I, I I wanted to be a decathlete in the worst way. So I had an opportunity to go out to Bruce Jenner. Yeah, Bruce Jenner. He had a decathlon camp out in the West Coast. And I was told that if I got a certain score in a decathlon, that I would qualify to go out there and train and be a potential decathlete and, and, and maybe qualify for the Olympic trials. So at any rate, um, that didn't quite happen. But that was my dream and that was my goal. But in between all that, while I'm coaching track and working my master's degree and, and, and do, you know training for the decathlon, I was playing in these rough touch football leagues, seven on seven. Brett, it was wild, man. It was as, in the movie. It was so crazy, and and <laughs> and I played for Max's. I played for I, I played for Cannon's Cafe, Deacon Ale House. I was I played for three or four teams, 
and I would play for a six pack of beer. I mean, that, that was it, you know? And, and then, um, so here's what happened. Uh, the, the track thing didn't happen. And all the guys in the neighborhood, they say, you know, well, you're a pansy, Papawa. You know, you think you because you got all your speed. And I'm just blowing by all these guys in this league. And they were, most of the guys I was playing against were either high or drunk. And uh, so I'm blowing past them. And, they, and so they said, if you had any guts, you play for the Aston Knights. And that's your Eastern Seaboard League. So guess what? I went out for the Aston Knights. And I wound up leading the league in receptions and touchdowns. And, and, and so, but I had this one game, one game against this team, Hagerstown Bears in, in, in Pennsylvania. And I had a, a couple, three, I don't know, four touchdowns, a couple hundred yards, 10 catches. And this guy never forgot it. And the World Football League was just coming into play. Now, a lot of people won't remember the World Football League. It came in in 74, but that's the league that Larry Zonka, Jim Kick, and Paul Warfield from the Miami Dolphins, the world champion Miami Dolphins defected to, and they became part of the Memphis Southmen. And that was the whole league form. And, and it came and they had a free agent tryout. And I got invited to that free agent tryout. There were about 600 guys there and there were 60 or 70 wide receivers. And I wound up running the fastest 40 yard dash there. They told me that they said, I, I, at first I ran a four or five on grass and, and they, they said, there's no way you can run a four or five. I said, you know, that's never, it, it doesn't happen on grass. So I said, well, give me the clock again. Four, 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 five, four, five on four clocks. And they said, oh, okay. Well, to make the long story short, after four more tryouts, I wound up making the team. And I actually, I actually caught the first reception in the history of the World Football League. And that was in 1974. And ironically today, the guy that was a PR director from the World Football League, but known to no one, he sent me a picture, a, a caricature of me playing football back then that I just sent to my kids, and they just loved it. It died. So anyway, the, the World Football League happens, and then it, then it folds after one year and four games, and Bob Davis was our quarterback. He was Joe Namath's backup when Joe Namath got injured with the Jets, and the league folds, and I have no, I have nowhere to go. I'm out of money. I'm broke now. I went and bought a new car. You know, I got, I got nothing. And um, so what I do, and I started substitute teaching and, uh, and, and, and also um, bartending at the bar that I used to play in the rough touch legs. And who comes into town and gets a new head coaching job for the Philadelphia Eagles? Dick Vermeil, my coach, Dick Vermeil. And he announces he's going to have a free agent tryout. And I was in great shape. And so that's where the movie picked it up, Brett. They never right, right. Out. That rough league, though, that you were talking about, that first league, how they depicted in the movie, I think the opening scene is you guys are playing in the mud. That was pretty similar to what it really was. Yeah, man, it was great. It was wow. Right, you, it was got, you, were, you were a maniac. Oh, it was great. It was right behind a bar called the T-Bar in, in suburban Philadelphia, Ridley Township. If anybody from, 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 from Delaware County hears this, I'm going to make sure Delaware County knows about this. And it was right behind the T-Bar's Father Noel Field. It was an 80-yard field. They had... They had six, six telephone poles with three lights on each telephone pole that was lighting up the field. And, uh, and, 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 and half, the, half the guys that played used to come roll right out of the T-bar and right onto the field. That was their pregame warm-up. Was it, you know, that, they ever hear the word pre-gaming? Well, that's yeah. how they pre-gamed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're pre-gaming the party, that's, that's, that's how they got it, I think. And, and, 
And that's that's how I played. We we would always have an EMT and we'd have a cop because somebody always wound up winding and going into the hospital. And there was always a fight. You know, I mean, so the cops were there. And I think they were just out of pure entertainment. But yeah, that league, that league really did happen. And uh, so anyway, I evolved from that into the semi-pro guys and then wound up, you know, getting that shot. And um, and, and then when Vermeil had that tryout, um, you know, the, w- Wikipedia says that I was it was an invitation only. That wasn't the case. Uh, Dick had no idea who I was. And, um, you know, I popped I popped another four or five and um, in the 40. And he said, oh, well, let's put this guy in the next drill. And the next drill was a seven on seven. And, you know, you got these knuckleheads, defensive backs that are trying to take my head off. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I got goofballs from the, uh, you know, from the rough touch leagues. I, this is a piece of cake. And then I, you know, I got through that. And and here's a, here's a really cool thing, which the movie, uh, the, the the movie didn't, you know, they they didn't. At, at the one point, they had that scene where the coach comes up after the tryout, and uh, and he sees me with the car, you know, and and he says, you know, you're you're a lot faster than your car and all that stuff. That conversation really did happen, but it happened in the elevator uh, after the tryout was over because we were. I actually had an opportunity to go into the Eagles locker room and change and shower up. So I, the, the athletic trainer Otho Davis comes over to me, and he afterwards, and and, and after the, I'm about ready to go home, he's yo yo oh hey Papawi Papawi. He says uh, Vermeil wants Coach Vermeil wants to see you upstairs. I said whoa really? He said what what about it? I, said, I don't know. He said go up. So hey man, I'm a season ticket holder, Brett. Ten years, I'm a season ticket holder for the for the Eagles, and, and and I go up in that elevator and I go up to the executive offices. Oh my God, I like to I'd like to die. I almost passed out. You know, I had goose pimples. There's all these murals. You got Chuck Bednarik. You got Pete Retzlaff. You got Timmy Brown. You know, you got Tommy McDonald, my idol. There's all these murals there. And this receptionist says, hello, Mr. Papelli. Jim, <laughs> Jim would like to see you. And he was our he was, he was our, um, our, our general manager. And I walked past coach's office. He says, hey, Vince, that was a great workout. He says, uh, nice job today. It's whoa. And, and I go into to Jimmy Murray, who was our GM, and he offered me a contract. I got a $21,000 contract right there on the spot. <laughs> and the first question I asked, I asked him, Brett, I said, can I still keep my season tickets? He said, if you make the team, we'll give you a couple. Don't worry about it. And, uh, and that was it. And then I, I signed a $21,000 contract. And you remember a guy, Roman Gabriel? I said, well, what's this, what's this do for me? Do I make the team? He said, no, you got to go to training camp. It's only April. And um, I, I said, he said, but he says, you can train here. You now have exclusive rights to the Philadelphia Eagles training facility. So guess what? I wound up training there. And and, and I, I don't know. Do you remember a guy from the Phillies by the name? Gus Heffling. I can't believe you. You remember Gus? Was he a nut or what? Well, let me tell you what's crazy about it. Gus Heffling dated my grandmother. What? Gus Heffling dated my grandmother. Roman Gabriel kind of, you know, because back then, especially in the baseball world, you didn't train. That was a no-no. You know, it was you're a baseball player. You don't lift any weights. You don't. But he was a he was a kung fu guy. Right. So Roman Gabriel was Gus's guy. And then all of a sudden it became Steve Carlton uh, had a relationship with Roman Gabriel 
they ended up meeting Gus. Carlton ends up bringing him to the Phillies. And then Carlton, my dad, and, and a few other guys that Carlton recruited started working out with Gus Heffling. Next thing you know, the Phillies hired Gus Heffling. But that's really interesting. As soon as you brought up, because I didn't really know Roman. And, and let's be honest, at the time, I'm like six years old. Uh, but I every time I hear Roman Gabriel, I'm like, Gus Heffling. Because I got to know Gus really well. And not only was my dad working out with him, and he was the strength coach for the Phillies for the next, you know, for the rest of my dad's time in Philly. So I got to know Gus. He's dating my grandma. He's taking my grandma on dates. But every time I hear the name Robin Gabriel, I immediately think Gus Heffley. It's really bizarre. And I I know that kind of threw you when I when I said it before you got his name out. You're like, how did he know that? I can I cannot believe that because guess what? Guess, guess who the knucklehead was that he brought into his in, into the fray? Me. Yeah. So Gus started training me because the Eagles started using Gus. So Gabe says, "Hey, you got to train with this guy Gus Heffling." So I had this crazy running program, you know. But I had a I had to get in shape for the NFL, and so I, I gave Gus my running program, and a lot of it was was distance running and. You know, setting it because of decathlon, you got to set up your base. You know, I, I, would, I, would, I would run three or four miles a day through the streets of Philadelphia. This is before Rocky, by the way. So I'm running three or four miles before, the, uh, before I even did a workout. That's how I warmed up. And that's the kind of condition I was in. And, and, and so and then I would do all my sprint work and all this other stuff. And Gus said, well, you know, he took me for the weight workout. And he said, he, he said, let me teach you. Let me teach you a couple moves here. And he taught me some some Kung Fu moves that I used when I was in special teams to try to break guys when they were, when they, you know, and I, I was, I was, I was a little bit of an animal. You know, I was one of the few guys in the game that, that would block below the waist back then football was football. You know, you could hit them any way, any way you wanted. And I, I, anything that moved that had a different color Jersey, I hit below the waist and, and he's the one that got me in shape in my upper body uh, to get in the hitting condition. I'm, I'm sort of going through some of the stuff right now. You know, because of Guff. I, I mean, Gus Heffling, I love that man. He was a nut. But, oh, my God, he was. Gus, he, he, I, I can hear Gus right now. You go, oh, ooh, ee, oh. Yeah. That's, how he, that's how he used to count it down. But, you know, you had to be a maniac to do what you did. You had to be that guy that I'll hit anything. I'll, I'll get to the ball faster. <laughs> I'll hit you harder. When you decided to do this. Yeah. Uh-huh. You said I'm gonna I'm gonna go try out for the Eagles because right. first of all let's let's be realistic when when a when Vermeil comes to town and he announces an open tryout right it's kind of a PR thing like come on who's really gonna make the NFL from a from an open tryout you know if they have somebody on the radar they'd pick him so all of a sudden you're there you're probably the only one they they kept even for a minute after the workouts ended. I was. Yeah. I, I but who, who, what are your, at this point, what is your family and your friends telling you when you told them, ah, I'm going to go try out for the Eagles? Yeah, they were all behind me. You know, there's, they, they actually were all behind me. You know, my friends, the guys I went to high school with and my football player friends. And, you know, today, ironically, I actually tracked down one of my teammates today from nowhere. He, he flew C-130s in Vietnam. We went to college together. And I, and I finally tracked him down today, and I told him I was going to be talking to you tonight. I mentioned his name. And uh, anyway, Joe Ward. And, uh, you know, these guys, they were all behind me. But then there were the others. They, they were the other knuckleheads. So this is part of the story. So, I, you know, I'm sort of wavering about this tryout. You know, I wanted to do it, but, you know, I mean, really, my, you know, I meant to, really? Am I going to get a shot? You know, so I go to my coach. I go to Coach George Corner. 
You know, there's, I, I don't know, you know, could you name that one person, Brent, that maybe had the greatest impact on your life other than your parents? You know, we put them on Rush Mount Rushmore. But I had that one guy, and aside from Marty Stern and my school teachers, uh, was, was Coach George Corner. And he was my high school, junior high school, first junior high school teacher. And he's the guy that taught me that you don't wear black socks in phys ed class, you know. And so George Corner now becomes a track coach, and now he's, I'm 30 years old. And I go to coach and I said, coach, they're, they're, they're breaking my balls, man. I mean, they're really busting me. You know, I'm too old. I've never done it before. You know, it's never, you know, you're 30 years old, didn't play college football. And he said, Vince, let me give you this quote. And he said, just listen to it. And it, and it goes like this. I don't even know who said it. Happy are those who dream dreams and are willing to pay the price to make them come true. He said, Vinny, he said, are you willing to pay the price? Phew, was I willing to pay the price? Yes, I was. He said, well, then go for it. You got nothing to lose. What people didn't realize, Interbro told me, they said, hey, get this football crap out of your system. And when you get done with it, you have a job waiting for you at Interbro. You know, they had already told me that I wasn't going to make the team, but I got a teaching job. Back then, I would have been making about $7,800 a year. I lost my coaching job. Somebody else took it over. But I would have gotten my master's degree and wound up a counselor or principal. But, you know, that was that was the deal. So I got that tryout. And uh, and I decided, you know what, screw it. So I got this guy, this kid that was the quarterback when I was coaching him at Interbro, and his name was Charles Chubby Price, and he was trying to get into the pro tennis thing. So I would get Chubby, and he was our quarterback. At 6 o'clock every morning, I'd, I'd run routes with him, and he would throw the ball to me. And then what I would do is I would condition him because I would condition him the way I would condition a track guy. And so that that's, that's pretty much what I did in order to get myself – in, in shape for this tryout. And, um, and, and he, he got me ready. And then, uh, you know, I, I about two or three weeks before the tryout, then I had the tryout pop to 40. And so now it's a whole different scenario because now I can train at veteran stadium. And who do I train with? Well, I train with number 53, Dennis Franks, you know, the guy, the white knuckle guy from the movie, you got to read right. your knuckles, you know, he says, I don't like centers. I'm a center. I don't like anybody that, that, that was, that's my guy. I lost Dennis right right around Thanksgiving. I mean, I, I'm I, I'm just like dying, and I can't even. This guy's not even a part of my life. But Dennis and I both trained each other. He's Michigan kid. He was too small. I was too old, and we just pushed each other. We were doormen for crying out loud at one of the top nightclubs in Philadelphia called Fran O'Brien's, and then we wound up getting a shot to play for the Philadelphia Eagles, and we just pushed each other to the hill. And then in the meantime, guess who's the quarterback? who's showing me how to run routes and teaching me routes, Roman Gabriel. So we get to training camp and guess who's the quarterback, Roman Gabriel. And he, he has, he likes me. He has confidence in me. And he was just throwing at me all the time. Uh, and I, I would come out of practice and training camp with 10, 15 catches. Easy, easy. And every Brett, this is what I used to do because training camp was only eight miles from where I grew up. And I'm playing in these rough touch leagues and all this crap and all the kids that I, all my students, so I'm in practice. Half the stands are filled with guys I was playing ball with, you know, rough touch, the, the semi-pro, you know, former students. My dad was always there. All the guys from Westinghouse where he worked. Every time I caught a pass, I don't care if I caught it on the minus 20 and there were 80 yards to go for the, for the touchdown. I sprinted all the way downfield, 80 yards for the, and the, and they would go crazy in the stands because I was their boy. And then Vermeer would turn around 
And and then that'd be just trotting back. I mean, that's kind of traditional. <laughs> and so in the movie, remember that one scene in the movie where the guy says, yo, you know, and well, there it was. And that, right, right. That was it, true. Yeah, they, they picked that one that, up. That, that's an interesting thing to me because you end up being the oldest rookie ever in the NFL, 30 right. years old. Yeah. But going into that camp, okay, once you talk to Vermeil, you talk to uh, Jim. Jim Murray. Yeah, Jim Murray, who's the who's the general manager. You get the 21000 but, you know, you've still got to make the team. Right. And there's cuts, just like in any sport. You know, right. I, I remember uh, baseball is a little bit different because you're their property. You're a minor league player. But I'd go to camp, and I'm thinking, do I have a chance to make it? And the first cut, I'm still there. Second cut, I'm still there. Am I going to make it? Well, this was my first big league camp. I ended up getting sent to AAA the last cut. Um, and everybody kind of knew it. But, you know, the NFL is a little different because if you get cut, there's no minor leagues for you. Right. So yeah. as you're going through these cuts and you make the first one and right. you make the second one, first of all, how are the players treating you? The guys under contract, the NFL veterans, what, what kind of reception did you get from them? Especially at the very beginning, did they look at you like, who's this guy? He just comes in on a, on an open tryout. What, what did they take you serious at first? No, or did man. you, you need to earn that? No, they didn't take me serious. They treated me like crap. And, and we, we get in that nutcracker drill, you know, the one where they showed in the movie where, you know, the one guy's coming in head to head and you had the running back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and when I get up there with a defensive back and I'd say to the coach, I said, get him out of here. I said, I want somebody that's tough. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can't believe I was doing crap like that. I said, give me a linebacker. I said, these guys, they, these guys can't handle me. And they would, they would be pissed off. And, and so that they, you know, they do everything they could. Now we're getting into the seven on seven drills, whatever it was, and they would do everything they could to take me out. But what I did is we were allowed to block below the waist. And, and even in training camp, I, I just would, I would just take them out. And they said, well, you ain't mad at you trying to hurt me. I said, look, if you don't want me to hit you, just get out of my way. I said, but if you're anywhere within a couple of yards of you, I'm going to hit you. So, and so eventually, so they, they, they did not like me in the beginning and it was funny, though, because the veterans, the guys who were my idols, the, the, you know, the Billy Bradleys, the Bill Burgies, the Harold Carmichaels, all these guys were rooting for me because, you know, these other guys were pretty cocky. And um, as it turned out, I, I, I wound up, I started winning them over. And, and I'll tell you how I won them over, because I was making plays. Brett, in the movie, it made it sound like I was on the fringe. I led the team in receptions in the preseason. I mean, how's that happen, right? I mean, how Carmichael, you know, eventually Hall of Famer, All Pro, I had more catches than any of the any of the other receivers. But I had this one game against the Miami Dolphins, and it was at the Orange Bowl, and we're down at the Orange Bowl, and it's the fourth. We had six preseason games, and and we're playing at night. It's on a Friday night. I'll never forget this, Brett. And you you know you have that you know you had that game that won that pivotal moment. You know I call them the invincible moments. Well, that was one of them. The coach comes up to me in the morning, and we're, we're staying at the Doral Hotel for crying out loud. Man, I, I was staying in a suite that was bigger than my freaking house that I grew up in, right? And we're at the Doral, and coach says, you're starting tonight. Carmichael's out. He said, Do you know? I, he said, you ready? I said, coach, man, I'm born. I was born ready. Let's go. And we're doing the pat and go, and, and on the sideline, I hear this guy say, yo, Vinny, yo, Vinny. And it turns around, it's my neighbor from Interborough, a kid that I played football with at Interborough. He says, I'm rooting for you tonight. Anyway, make the long story short, I had five catches in the first half, uh, a couple of knockdown blocks, gotten a couple of scuffles. 
and uh, I forced a fumble. And the next morning, Coach Ramil says, you know what, there's a guy in this team that has no right to be here. He said, but I'm going to show you something. And this is an example of what you should be and what you can be if you want to, if you really believe in yourself. And he showed the highlight of me from the night before. I'm, Brett, I'm in tears. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, you know, I hope nobody saw it. It's like when I saw Rudy. I'm like, and, and I call my dad. I said, Dad, Dad. And we had, still had two more preseason games. I said, Dad, we're going we're gonna to freaking make this team. You know, it's we. It's not me. We, we're going to make this. And, um, you know, so I got through the cuts. And uh, then finally, uh, you know, the last cut, the movie, the movie had it, you know, it was, it was pretty cool how they did it. Um, in the real, you want to hear the real way they did it? Of course. And I found out, I'd, you know, in the movie they had me, hey, uh, you know, hey, Vince, uh, you know, coach wants to see you. But the magic words weren't said by the, by the Turk. You know what the magic word is? Magic phrases, bring your playbook. They never said that. So in reality, I'm sitting there and I know they're going to take five wide receivers or six guys clustered in the locker room. I've got a locker with my name in it in plastic with my number 83. And, 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 but the other guy, this, this one guy, I won't mention his name, um, a veteran, uh, he, he, he didn't have a locker. So the, the Turk comes over and he comes over to us wide receivers. And, and I just picked up the playbook at it just out. I guess I'm about ready to hand him the playbook. I think he's coming to me. And he says, yo, come on over. Coach wants to see you bring your playbook. And I'm thinking, Holy crap. I mean, you know, I'm not, I can't jump around in the locker room and, and celebrate because this guy's going to get, he's going to be unemployed. So we're out on the field, and it's our rookie year, 1976. We're playing the Dallas Cowboys. The stadium is set up for baseball, so we're in right field stretching. And I'm looking up, and I see my season tickets up there, which would be right then. It would have been right, right behind the, right behind the, uh, on the first baseline, on the third baseline, right behind the dugout, up on the 700 level, the nosebleeds. And, I, and I'm seeing my dad and, and all my friends. That's where we had our season tickets. And, and I'm thinking, we're playing the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm you know, going to be there with a the cheerleader's whole thing. But I was never told I made the team. And all of a sudden, Coach Ramil comes over. And, and he looks at me. And he's got, a, he's got a really shitty smile on his face, you know. And, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this is crappy. He's going to cut me right now on the field. Well, I'm, I'm going through this dream. And he says, hey, 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 he 83. He said, congratulations. Welcome to the team, old man. You're a Philadelphia Eagle. And I said, oh, my God. That's how it really happened, Brett. We couldn't use it because it was a Rudy moment, because this is why. I And they called it a Rudy moment because when I found out, and, and I had the, the phone number to Westinghouse, to the shop steward, and I said to Coach, I, I said, Coach, I said, can I make a phone call? He said, what, are you going to have a press conference? You're going to call? I said, no. I, I said, can I, can I call my dad? I said, he's dying. And, you know, and he knew my dad because my dad was at all the practices. He really liked my dad. My dad was a blue collar working guy, you know, working at Westinghouse. He had the lunch pail kind of guy, you know, Kingy on his shirt. And, and, and so I got the shop steward and I said, hey, Slim, Slim, you know, and I a collect call, right? For, he takes the call. He said, Vincey. So that's my nickname is Vincey. He said, Vin, he said, I said, Slim, tell Kingy his little boys are Philadelphia Eagle. And in the background, he's, Kingy, we did it. And you could hear all of Westinghouse just screaming and yelling and cheering. And we all went to Max's after that was over and had one of the wildest celebrations you could possibly imagine. But because Rudy, the movie came out before me, uh, had a similar scene where he called his father in, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in, the, um, in the shop. 
And, uh, you know, they had that. So what they did is they created that scene where they brought me into the locker and coach's office. And he says, you know, keep that playbook. You might need it for a while, which was pretty cool. It was a pretty good cool adjustment. So that's how I found out. And then, uh, and then boom, there you go. That had, be, that, had, that had to be, that had to be. Oh my God. It was not unbelievable. I, and I think it would probably, it was probably un- unbelievable for Vermeil too. Cause he's taking a, you know, he's taking a flyer. Okay. We're going to let this kid come to camp. And he's not really going to make the team. And all of a sudden you're opening eyes and you're opening eyes. It, it was probably just as cool a moment for him to come and tell you, you made it. I mean, that's probably, that's probably a, a big moment for him. I think so. I, I really believe that. And, you know, we, we are, we, we are the closest of friends now. Um, and, and, uh, and I, I, I've been given the ultimate honor to have been in, in, invited to his induction in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, we've hugged a lot. We've cried a lot. Uh, we both spoke together and, and did our eulogies when our when, when my buddy Dennis Franks passed. And 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 Vincent, you know, my son is a, he's got he's a dreamer, and he's looking you know NFL. And uh, you know, so Coach Vermeil because he got he got uh, the uh, USFL was coming back alive again. And I actually ironically used to be the radio announcer for the original Philadelphia Stars, who USFL, USFL champion Philadelphia Stars back in the day. And Coach Ramil made a few phone calls. And when you know it, one of his best friends is Todd Haley, who's the coach of the Tampa Bay Bandits. And who, guess, guess who, guess who Todd drafted? He drafted my son. And uh, yeah, uh, there it is. So I'm, I'm, I'm living the dream, man. Every weekend I'm going from Jupiter, Florida, here through Atlanta, over to Birmingham to see my little boy chase his dream. And, you know, I know you've got, you've got, you've got the same, you know, and you've got your children. And, you know, it's, isn't it beautiful? It's cool. I, I, I every game. thing in the world. I'm more nervous oh than, I've ever, than I've ever been playing. I'm a mess. I'm yeah. a freaking mess. Don't even come anywhere near me three hours, four hours before the game. I'm a nut. I don't <laughs> want to talk to nobody. You know. You know. We'd be tailgating in college and the college games, and I would just say, "Hey, you all right, Vinny?" I said, "I'm okay. I'm okay. Just leave me alone. Don't talk to me." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you make the team, uh, you play the Eagles from uh, 76. You have to retire after the 79 season. Yeah. You're yeah. actually, you're a special teams captain. You go yeah. from these guys, you said at the beginning, uh, giving you a real hard time to, and, and you won them over. And now all of a sudden you're the special teams captain, you're man of the year in, in 78 because of the charity work you do yeah, off the yeah. field. I'm Brad, I think more than anything, I'm more proud of that or as, as proud of that as I was when, when I made a team and I, I, you know, I was a finalist with, with um, Archie Manning and Roger Staubach and they, I went out to Chicago and uh, Roger got it, but man, what an honor. Yeah. What, what a tribute. Was it the same? Was it the same? Did you have the same reception with the coaches? Were the coaches similar? Like who's this guy? And then you had to win them over too. Yeah, I had to win them over. You know, there were, there were a few guys, but there was one guy that really liked me a lot. And that was the wide receivers coach. And, and that was Dick Corey, and, and, and rest in peace, Dick, and God bless you. But Dick Corey actually uh, was in the World Football League. He was the coach of the Portland Storm. And um, the first game I played in the World Football League was against him, and he remembered me. And when, when, I, got to, uh, when I got to training camp, um, he, he just treated me like, like I was a veteran and with a great deal of respect. But the other guys, and there was one other guy, Kenny Iman, 
you know, Kenny Iman, he, he should have been a catcher. You know, he's one of those kind of old school kind of guys, gritty, you know, the, the grit. You know, he's a poster child for grit. He played for the Cardinals for, I don't know, 16 years or whatever as a center. And he was our special teams coach. He loved me. He loved me and Danny Franks. I was his boys. I'm wearing a shirt right now that says who's nuts on it. And uh, you can Google what Vince. I, I think I, I think it's I think it's D's. It's D's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned you mentioned and and the only reason I bring this up is you mentioned running through the streets, and that was right around the time Rocky was coming out. I forget if he was if he came out 76, 77, 78, somewhere in there. But they, did did you have a nickname they started calling you Rocky? <laughs> they call me asshole. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Yeah. Well, they, they, they did. They started calling me Rocky. I, and this one guy clocked me, man, this guy, Charles Phillips from the Oakland Raiders. He just, he just, my, he just, he just took my lights out and he was on, he said, come on, rock, come on, rock, come on, Rocky. You know, he's called, they, they were all, I was always called the real life Rocky. And I wasn't really sure if, 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 if Sylvester Stallone liked that. And um, at any rate, I, I wound up and I had the honor when, uh, when, the, when the first Creed movie came out, I became. I was the MC uh, for their for their uh, press conference they had at the top of the art museum steps, which was really crazy. And when we're in the green room, and they said, and everybody knows who our MC, Mister Invincible, Vince Papali. And there's there's Sly over there. He's signing posters. That's what you do, you know. He signed all these posters for all the the sponsors and crap. And he looks at me, and he points, and 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 he says, "You're Papali." <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." And he gives you know. I'm, I'm saying, hey, "Come on over here." I, I, and I'm waiting. Oh, here it comes. And he just gave me a big hug. He said, I'm so proud of you. I'm really great that I'm associated. My name's associated with you. And we're like, it was like one of the greatest feelings I've ever had. I mean, Rocky, you know, I care. That was, that was cool because I remember, you know. Rocky's uh, real, man. Rocky <laughs> to me is real because we're all Rockies. We all had that Rocky in us, you know, and all we want is that shot, you know, the second chance. And I got a lot of second chances. And Thank God. So you, you were that pain in the ass, weren't you, Vince? That, that like when you're, when you're at basketball practice and, yeah. and they inbound the ball, you're that guy that like covers you from the baseline all yeah. the way to the other end. Like, yeah. come on, Vince, we're just trying to practice. Yeah. 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 I was, I was that, I was that pain in the ass. <laughs> all right. This is, this is what's interesting to me too. In the movie, you're, and this is all false, by the way. For those of you listening to the Boone podcast, check out that movie, Invincible, again. And, and uh, Vince is about to, to tell you what really happened. But I believe now your current wife, in the movie, she's portrayed as this huge Giants fan. Right. Uh, who, who comes in and, and is bartending with you. Tell me the real story, how it went down. Well, here's it's pretty interesting. And in, in how she wound up to be a bartender, if... You know, if you've ever seen the movie, uh, you know, Longest Yard or The Replacements or something like that, you know, they would come up with a fake name for the team they'd be playing for. So we really, really, really needed the uh, the, the NFL's endorsement so we could use the branding rights and, and the uh, intellectual property rights of the NFL. And we could call ourselves the, the Philadelphia Eagles. So the guys that did our movie, uh, Mark Chiardi and Gordon Gray and Ken Mock was the executive producer and. God bless Ken, because he's the one that took and, and Brad Gann was the, the screenwriter. And I'm looking at the screen, the, the, the script right here. Um, if we were doing it, you know, we were doing video. I would have showed you the script. But anyway, um, so these guys, uh, Mark Chiardi and Gordon Gray had already done Rookie. They've already done Miracle. 
So they know how to play the game and they've already done the thing with Disney. So what happened is, is they take the movie and they get the script. A bunch of guys got the script, took it over Hollywood. But Disney, as soon as they saw it and they saw these guys because he had great success with Miracle and Rookie with them, they went and, and they, they took it. They said, OK, we're going to we're going to go with it. And uh, so what we needed, we needed the NFL's endorsement. So they go to the NFL. The NFL said, no, nope, we've already got a movie. We've got we, we've got the movie, uh, you know, with the agent, you know, you know, so that's that's our football movie. They said, what? So anyway, that we, we pressured Disney, pressured them. And, and then eventually they acquiesced. But they said here, OK, it's going to be a little bit of a compromise. We want Vince's love interest to be a Giants fan and a bartender. What? But that's what we want. And if, 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 if you agree to do that. Because the original script title for what she really was, and she was a member. I'm looking right over my shoulder of the jersey that she wore when she competed on the USA World Gymnastics team. And it has the three greatest letters in the world ever in our alphabet. It's called it's USA. USA, red, white, and blue, baby. That's right there. That's that's what my wife wore. She was Kathy Rigby's teammate on, on that world team back then. She didn't compete in the Olympics in Munich because – she had she was she was about ready to go. And right before the last event, she in the last event, she sprained her ankle and went in third. She came 13th out of 12 and they didn't take her. But she did compete in the World Games. So Janet and then she coached all over the world in South Africa, all over coached and taught University of Pennsylvania. Youngest head coach ever in Division One uh, history at the age of 21, the University of Penn. So that's that's Janet. I went to Wharton School of Business. I mean, you know, and so for 29 years We've been married, and, and that's the real story with Janet. So I said to Janet, you know, the movies now, this is all being developed in 2002. The, the, the feature with Rocky, uh, comparing me to Rocky and Monday Night Football, came out in 2002, the next day, Hollywood's calling. So now it's 2004, 2005. Uh, the, 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 the script is coming out, How the final script's coming out. And uh, so that's when uh, the NFL said, this is what we want. So I just said to Janet, I said, you don't have to sign off on this. She said, what, are you crazy? It's not my story. And so, and then, so we just, we signed off and that's, that's how she became a, but you know what? It's great. It's great because when I speak and I, I do all my speeches, it's all PowerPoint. I have this whole thing about real versus real. You know, it's not a documentary. It's a docu pick and all that kind of stuff. But I said, is your wife still a Giants fan? And I show pictures of Janet competing uh, as, as a, uh, as a world-class gymnast. And, uh, you know, it's sort of funny, you know, and then Mark, yeah, I mean, Mark Wahlberg, he, he was so cool. You know, Mark and I are still still the best of friends. I love him. He, he's so great. And, you know, Elizabeth Banks was Elizabeth Banks went to Penn for crying out loud when Janet was coaching there. You know, Greg Kinnear, he he nailed Dick Vermeil and Michael Norrie nailed Leonard Tosar. Michael Norrie from Flashdance, the guy that drove the, the Porsche and Flashdance. He was he, he was the owner of our team. He was great. All the guys that hey, here's one, Brett. You appreciate this. All the football players um, and, and the and the uh, and the NFL scenes and the training camp scenes, they were all Arena Football League players, the current Arena Football League players, and and um, and uh, and Mark uh, Ellis, that was the, the the guy that was in charge of the second unit. He did the replacements. He did the longest yard. He did rookie. He did miracle. He did all those uh, all those films, and he came in and did our movie and. You know, they did it. Everything that you saw on the field uh, that was there actually really did happen. They, you know, they fudged around with a couple of timelines and this and that. 
but they, they captured the journey and that's what I wanted. And, you know, the layers, you know, the, the dream, you know, forget the football stuff. That was, that was a periphery, you know, but everything else, that was a metaphor for just chasing a dream, overcoming odds and obstacles and, and having people believing in you, believing in yourself and just taking risks and, you know, and go, just go, let's go. You know, it's a big, a big phrase now. Let's go, let's go. And that, you, that's you, what happened. You talk about, uh, they did a segment on you on Monday Night Football. That kind of changed everything. I mean, that's how the that's how the movie buzz came yeah. up. Now all of a sudden, they're going to do a movie. Yeah, uh, movie did how much input did you have? And, and when they when they said Wahlberg's going to play you, what was what was your thought? Marky Mark. Yeah, <laughs> Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, and then my, my and the producers they were they were practical jokers. Oh, you know, when you see Mark, you know, say when you see Mark, make sure don't call him Mark, call him Marky. He likes being called Marky. Well, I did the research. I said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to bite on that one. But I, I, you know, I did a lot. I, I actually, what I did is I, as I took my scrapbooks um, and pictures and they got a chance to, and, and some other things. And I, and I sat down with Mark Ellis and I choreographed uh, some of the special teams that we did there and some of the plays. And then they looked at film, you know, to get the other stuff, you know, so um, and, and then I sat down with Brad Gann, you know, now this was before Google, uh, this was before FaceTime, this was before, you know, Zoom and all this pandemic stuff, you know, we're, we're just talking on the phone. I never even met them. I never even met these guys. It was all over the phone. And then Janet was invited out because of her Olympic background. Uh, she was inv- invited out for the Olympic trials in, in Pasadena. And so I went out to California and I met the writers and the executive producer and everything else for the first time. And we went to this place called the Rose in Malibu and had breakfast. And I had a couple of bloody Marys, you know, and I'm having a good old time. And I started telling them stories that they never heard before. And they said, shit, we didn't have, we, we, we didn't, we didn't get this when we were talking on the phone to you. I said, well, I don't know you guys, you know, and then, then all of a sudden they saw the real me. Next thing you know, they started ordering the, the script and they came up, uh, you know, with, with the script that, that, uh, that the NFL would approve. And, and there we went. And that's, that's how it happened. When you're and sitting it, on set and you're watching this movie being made about your life is kind of a surreal for you. It's surreal. Are you kidding me? You gotta be pinching yourself. The first time I walked on set, I saw six guys with number 83 and one of them was Mark, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sitting here right now. I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a Vespa scooter, in my, my garage, my, my, my garage studio that nobody's seen. <laughs> and, but that, that was, a, that was a scooter that's all tricked out that with, with all the Eagle stuff. And Mark Wahlberg bought it. And he used to drive around the track at the university of Penn, where we filmed the movie with my son and daughter on it in the back, my daughter, Gabby, uh, who's now 28. She was nine at the time. My son, Vinny was six. They're both in the movie in that great scene where the ball goes out in the street and a little boy chases it. Well, Gabby was the quarterback. Vinny's the chaser. And, and I'm saying this and it's, and it's just, and it's happening and you just can't. And then, then what was a really cool thing is afterwards I'd go to the trailer and I'd get to see what they call the daily. And, and I would see what was, because they would only work on a couple three, four scenes in any one given day. I would actually see what they were going to keep and, um, and, and what was going to go now to the next day. And, and every, every time I would go to the set, they'd have a 10 by 10, a 10 by 10, a t- tent, with four four video monitors and each and then there would be directors chairs with each one of our names on it, you know Vince, Janet, and Vinny was uh, Vinny was Vinny P number eighty three and Gabrielle was the Italian girl. 
you know? And, and and each one of us had headsets. There would be the script for the day, and we'd be able to put the headset on and wirelessly would be able to hear everything that was going on between the, the actors, the script, the director, the producer, the whole thing. Uh, it was it was it was insane. Absolutely insane. I was there for every almost every shoot. And then it sometimes, you know, it got a little bit, you know, okay, after a while. But um and and, and everybody was cool. Here's what here's what was really cool in the football scenes or any of the scenes. And uh, actually there was a feature on Vinny the other night for because of the USFL. He was talking about it. Anytime there was a break in the action in the shooting, Mark and Vinny and Gabby would always be together. And Mark, instead of going to his trailer where we were doing the football scenes, he and Vinny, they're both lefties, would just throw the football around the field the whole time. And then we'd have another scene, and then they would sit in a director's chair, and they'd, they'd be played with, the, with, with the, the PlayStations they had back then, those portable PlayStations. They were always playing the games. They were inseparable, my kids, uh, with Mark. And, and it, was, it was just such a beautiful thing. And, you know, we're all part of the family. It was so cool. It, it's beyond surreal. You, you can't even imagine. I mean, how many people alive have a movie made about them? You know, Brett? And, and it still freaks me out. Uh, it, it, it's crazy. I don't buy too many beers in Philadelphia, by the way. I'll tell oh, you. I, I'm telling you, that city loves you. And, and Seattle loves you, man. I mean, you know. What, what, what is this, though? Okay, you go from just, you know, you're a, a school teacher. You're, a, a, you're coaching track. You're, you're messing around. You're playing in these leagues in the mud. And all of a sudden, you get this trout. Ah, what the heck? What am I really thinking? Am I kidding myself? I'm not going to make the Eagles. You make the Eagles. Now you become kind of a cult hero. What's it like for you going from teacher, bartending on the side? Now all of a sudden you're a couple years in the NFL. How did the city embrace you? Incredible. Incredible. I mean, you had to be the most popular guy in that city. And there were some big wigs walking there, around there, Philly there, in those there, days. There were some big guys. I mean, you know, we had Dr. J, you know, we had Julius, we had Mike, we had Schmidt, we had your dad, we had everybody. We had we had world champions. And um, but you know what it was? I was one of them. That's the thing. I was the guy that put the shoulder pads and the helmet on for the fans. You know, how many people, you know, everybody, you know, there's that there's that there's the elites, you know, there's that, that, that 10 percenter. But the rest of us were on that 90 percentile. And I was one of them. And, and, and they knew the background. And I'm a Delco kid. You know, there's so much pride in Delaware County, DLCO. And so I'm a Delco kid. And Philly just loves, loves their sports and they love their heroes. And, I, you know, I have a house. I have a house now that we took over that we rented for 15 years, um, right, right in a great section of Philadelphia, historic section. Cobblestone streets are still there. I, I can't walk. I can't walk into a restaurant or bar there without somebody buying me a drink the minute I walk in or somebody they'll, they'll just start applauding. It, it's the craziest thing. I mean, and it, I'm, we're, we're 30. Uh, well, you know, I'm this is the, the movie's out 16 years. But being an eagle, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years out of it. You know, I'm set, that's 76. I'm, you know, it's almost a half a goddamn century. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, it is, it is awesome it's, though. It's such a, it's such a cool story. Yeah. Thank you. But you know, here's what it is, Brett. There's this, I, 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 you know, I've never met you, but you know, I can just tell from you, you're just a nice guy, you know, and, and it, it, what we need in our world today, right now, we just need people treating everybody with respect. And, and, and I think if anything, the people will say, they'll just say, you know what, the guy's humble and he's a nice guy. You know, I'll, I'll buy you a beer. I, you know, you, you be nice to me. I'll be back. You'd be an asshole to me. I'll, I'll, I'll just shut it down, but I won't, you know, I'll, I'll just back off. And, 
that, that's the way that's the way I treat everybody. I, I treat and the Vermeil gave me the greatest lesson. Coach Vermeil gave me the great. He said, treat everybody you meet as if they're the most important person you've ever met in your life. That's a that's a Florence Nightingale thing. And uh, and and I and I keep that to, to the day. I don't care whether the janitor all the way to the, the CD, CEO, you know, just treat people with respect because right now people are hurting. And, uh, you know, we, we and people like you and me that people look up to, you know, we can we, we can do a lot for what's going on in this society and world right now. So and that's why, I, you know, I could retire from speaking, but I still like going out and getting in front of the group and getting on stage and just setting my hair on fire and causing a wreck, baby. It's a beautiful thing. It's all biggest about biggest eagle moment. Do you have one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, 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 I'll tell you the biggest eagle moment. I got cut from the team my third year. And, uh, well, after I made a big play, this is aside from making that one really big play at the end of the uh, at the end of the Giants game that it gave her Mills first win. I got cut from the team, and I was working TV for CBS Channel 10 in Philadelphia. And after three games, the special team sucked. And we had major injury from Wally Henry. He got his spleen busted up by one of the guys from the, I think, uh, Platter Fensick, one of the guys, one of the guys from the Chicago Bears, took his helmet, put it right in his spleen. So they brought me back, and 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 what Coach Ramil did is, I'm going to cry. Uh, Coach Ramil introduced the special teams, the special teams, and the last guy he introduced was me. I'm going to tell you something, Brett. My goddamn feet never touched the ground. I had a picture of me coming through the cheerleaders. My arms, you can see the, the veins in my arms popped up. I, I would have broken the 100-meter dash record from the tunnel. And you know where the tunnel was right there in right field. You know where the Phillies dugout was? That yep. tunnel was right past there. I came out of that tunnel and just flew, flew downfield. And the crowd was, was just standing and cheering. And, <laughs> and I pointed up to my guys, you know, my dad and everybody's up there. And the first god darn play, I speared Gary Fensick. <laughs> I was so jacked. he was returning a kickoff and i speared his ass (laughs) 15 yards for me what is i didn't bring you back for this what are you doing and you know and then i settled down and wound up having a good game and we wound up um we wound up in the wild card playoffs almost made it almost got there and then i had surgery afterwards i I played i actually played uh, my my entire career with a separated shoulder but you know no big deal you know, that's why they invent painkillers. And, uh, <laughs> and then my fourth, first game of the fourth, the fourth season pregame, and I, I dislocated my left shoulder at, because I reseparated my right and that ended it. So, but I, you know, I walked away, uh, I walked away with my head up and uh, no regrets. I, if anybody said, would you change anything? Not a freaking thing, man. I had a ball. What do you want people to really remember about you? I was a nice guy. And I worked my ass off and I cared about people and I was a good dad and a good husband. That's what I want people to remember me as. That's what I want. Very cool. Uh, where can, where can the fans find you now? What are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, well, thank you for asking that. I'm, I'm out speaking still. If anybody would like to have me come out, you know, just go to www.vincepapelli.com. Um, I've got a book that's out there on Amazon called the last laugh and vision of victory with my teammate, uh, the late and great Dennis Franks. And, uh, and also uh, one last thing, too, is uh, I'm very proud of my, my son, Vinny, uh, is working and playing in the USFL and doing quite well as a slot receiver. And, um, and my daughter, Gabriella, is working with my wife. We have a, uh, 
a three-person team led by my wife, Janet, who's been in real estate for 40 years in three states, Delaware, I mean, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Florida. And we have the Papali Group, and it's the papalegroup.com. And, you know, real estate, it's like, you know, you know getting that dream and getting into the end zone. So um, a lot of stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking, I'm doing a lot of charity work, uh, playing in go- charity golf outings and enjoying South Florida. And, and just uh, loving life, man. Just loving life and just watching my kids grow up and, and, and be happy and, you know, watching Vinny Chase's dream and my daughter Gabriella uh, chase her dream as well. And Janet and I, we, you know, we're, we're two jocks. We're both coaches, and um, you know we we and we, we we live in uh, the way I look at it. I live an idyllic life. I've got my health, I've got I've got my wealth, and wealth is it's just uh, you know all the beautiful things happen to me in my life, and I got happiness. And it, it's Italians say health, wealth, and happiness. I salute. So that's what it's all about. Just having a ball, man. Life is good. Well, Vince Papali, uh, it's been a lot of fun, man. Uh, it, it really is. It's an inspirational, it's an inspirational story. It's a once in a lifetime story. You don't see this every day, but but there's some people out there I, I know you've touched with with your journey, and uh, it was a pleasure having you on. A lot of fun. What we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we bring back the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy. Dan. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast, EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast, neighbors and friends and all those that love sports. Make sure you subscribe, never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29 I'm Dan Levy, B-A-S-S on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one. <laughs>